Welcome to episode 8 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my busy co-host, Eddie Kramer. We're hobby machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Eddie, how are you doing on this fine evening? Really good, Winston. How are you? I can't complain. I might be a little lethargic right now just because I had like a, a 16, 1700 calorie meal earlier this afternoon, um, but I'll, I'll try and stay awake for this podcast. What have you been uh, up to other than eating today? Really not much today. I went to go play uh, frisbee golf with my friend who's getting married. Um, and as part of his whole wedding thing, uh, earlier this week I was working on a project which would be sort of just a little personalized gift for him. Uh, so he has ambitions to move out to Colorado. So um, if you've been sneaking a look at my Instagram, you might have noticed that I'm doing some sort of topographic carving. And so I'm actually carving out the state of Colorado based on an STL file from Noah Larang, uh, Elevated Woodworking on Instagram. And uh, just working through that, uh, I've got a five inch wide piece of walnut, basically just adaptive out the STL and do a parallel finish and you get all the contours and mountains and all that, that pretty stuff. Um, so I've just been polishing that up, did a little wood burning on the back of it, sort of just a personalized note, like, good luck, whatever, see you out west. Um, so that's really just what's been going on lately. How about you? Finishing up a couple of the, a couple more of those stainless steel lanyard beads on the pocket in C and getting ready to start some uh, commissioned work on Monday. Can't really talk much about that, but it's going to be my first 4140 job on the pocket in C kind of planning out the, the strategy for uh, machining the part right now and making sure I have all the tools. What's, uh, what are the material properties of that compared to like your regular stainless steel or other mild steels? I know two things about 4140. One is uh, that's the hardest material that Pocket NC, uh, that the manufacturer claims that, they can, that the machine's designed to mill. So, uh, you know, it's just up to 4140 in hardness. So that'll be right at the limit probably with mm. the machine, with the spindle can handle. It's annealed, so I, you know, 4140 comes in lots of different hardnesses. So I, I, I tried to get the softest stuff I could find, uh, cold rolled annealed, but I still think it's going to be pretty challenging. Uh, I've got some other projects that I want to do in 4140, including the tool tightener. So this is going to be a good uh, segue into learning to work with that material myself. Yeah, that's cool. I still haven't cut steel at all yet, so you are way ahead of me there. But you are behind me in terms of that that tool setting fixture. So. I look forward to seeing what you come up with. I'm getting uh, a few more commissioned or paying jobs to run, mostly on the pocket and see. It keeps kind of pushing off the stuff I want to work on, but uh, I'm not that I'm complaining. It's going to be probably a full week on the part I have, I have set up for next week and then hopefully get back at some of my projects, start knocking out some of my stuff. Because uh, the other thing I've got coming up, you know, the holidays are coming up. I plan on making some personal gifts this year. Probably mostly on the shape oko. I'm going to be doing some work in exotic woods uh, as gifts for some friends and family. I got to start planning now, right? So I'm just starting to to think about what I want to build and design, get the materials lined up, and give myself plenty of time to make mistakes and start over. <laughs> so, <laughs> you have dust collection lined up yet? Actually, that's a good point because I wasn't planning on doing wood, but I will be doing wood. So, <laughs> yeah, I may have to go ahead and add the dust boot and, and get that working. I'll probably need a different uh, shop vac because the one I have is not really full duty cycle like that. So I think the one you have, what do you have, a Fest tool? I have the Fine. So the Fine is like the, the Turbo something one. I think that was like 250 bucks. The Fest tool is 100 bucks above that. 
Um, the Festool has like a, a high and a low speed range. The low speed is quieter than the fine, um, but the high speed is louder. But really, I don't really care about that adjustment, so I'll save 100 bucks and get one of the quietest shop vacs on the market. But that's just my personal opinion. Um, I, I really like the, uh, the fine so far. That's good to know. I'll probably look into that. Uh, quiet's probably the number one attribute that I need. Yeah, especially for me, like coming from the shop vac, I had that thing in an insulated box and it was still just really annoying to, to listen to the whole time. And now the vacuum is, I can turn it on and uh, like it, it's quieter than the shop vac was in the box and it's running, providing better suction. I know there's an air filter in front of the cooling fan for the motor, so it'll stand up to the shop environment a little better. Uh, my shop vac bit the dirt in a rather spectacular way, so um, I'm, I'm glad to have something that's, that's quality and I know will hold up well. Yeah, and you're, are you running a cyclone in front of that? I'm actually running two cyclones just because uh, um, usually I just run one cyclone to my Shape Oko 3 enclosure, but to get to the, the like a, a little further down in my shop to where the uh, XL is, I, I need to run a longer hose. So I just plug that hose into the first cyclone and I have a second cyclone right in front um, to go into a smaller hose that goes into the XL. Um, just because I, I only have a, a couple short lengths of like really flexible hose that I like to plug directly into the uh, socket dust boot uh, just to put less strain on the uh, gantry. To step down from the bigger hose, the longer hose, to the smaller flexible one, I just decided to put a cyclone in between. Um, so when I'm cutting on the XL, I actually have two cyclones in series, and it still provides enough airflow to, to do the job. I got a lot of work to do this month to kind of get the shape up, go ready to, to work on Christmas gifts. That's one of the things I like about working on metal is cleanup is really easy <laughs> compared to wood, especially doing it in the house. In some ways it is, in some ways it's not. I still remember back in my, my old machining days where I could claim the title of the, uh, the world's greatest living room machine shop that uh, aluminum chips are really hard to get out of carpet, especially like lush, thick carpet. It's, it's just not a good thing. Really happy with the, the new flooring I have in here. It's been easy to clean up. I'm happy with all the changes I made in the shop. Lately, it's actually, I don't want to say it's, you know, measurable improvement in productivity, but it's just the, the mood is different in here now. I don't know why, but it's, it's good. I like it. Nice. I mean, like any little thing you can do to sort of just make your life a little easier, just make it a little more, like it encourages you to get in the shop more and, and be more productive. Yeah, I think that probably the real benefit was um, to have the crew come in here and change out the flooring. That means I had to pull everything out of here. So everything got a lot more organized. <laughs> Oh yeah, you got a hard reset in the shop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's really that's the part that's really paying off for me. Um, so I mean, I've always been pretty good about keeping it organized here, but it seems you know it drifts, right? Especially when you get busy on stuff. Uh, so I'm trying to trying to be really focused on keeping everything uh, uh, organized. And I'm not full lean here yet, but I'm getting there. You know, I'm working slowly <laughs> towards getting uh, everything kind of for a particular machine to be organized near that machine. Uh, tooling and stuff like that so that's that's a project for next year for me yeah I'll, I'll get there eventually i only have like one like really cheap crappy like rolling tool cabinet um so i really got to step up my organization game but i'll get there i was gonna ask you um you know so i mentioned the lanyard beads i, I can't remember if you've done any rep fourth axis work on the pocket nc um, I have not. I actually, I talked with uh, Xander a little bit about this out at um, IMTS because I was always wondering, like, how do you, if you want to do like a full 360 degree uh, wrap, like, how do you do that? Because it's not 
clearly supported in Fusion. Um, but there, there are workarounds. Um, I just I haven't found the time or the, the need to actually make use of it yet. There, there might be a project here or there in the future that might benefit from it. We'll see. It took me a couple of failed attempts to more on the cam side, not actually cutting the part, but just trying to get my get an understanding of how it worked, even after I watched Sanders videos, which are great. Um, but once I got it working and you know, kind of figured out all the little idiosyncrasies and fusion, it's actually a very useful toolpath. I'm sorry, machining strategy. I plan on doing more with it. Yeah, you're right. It has limits as far as uh, it only works with closed pockets today. There's some workarounds, like you mentioned, with patches to kind of trick it into supporting an open an open pocket. But um, anyone that was paying attention to my lanyard bead design will see that originally I had a, a full 360 groove around the bead, and then I changed that to be 170 degrees on each side, you know, kind of an interrupted groove. Um, that was really, that was because of that limitation. Side effect of that is actually looked better. I think I like the second design better. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I like it better too. That was a real simple part. Really did it to, uh, just to have something to play around with the, the wrapped fourth axis feature. But I'm definitely going to be doing more with that. Worked really well. Expect to see that in, featured in some of my other projects next year. Was that 303? Yeah, that was 303. So it, it's, the other nice thing was, you know, I'm using the ER40 for that type of work. So most of your wrap fourth axis is going to be, you know, cylindrical part, right? So it's the work holding was super easy uh, using the collet. It's uh, setup is really easy. Yeah, so I, I like it. I'll, I'm a little jealous that you have that full ER40 set. I only have, yeah, I have one inch and half inch right now. And then um, well, I had an oversized one inch and an oversized, yeah, I want to say it's 26 millimeter. Because a lot of the stock I'm getting is, it's, you know, it's a little oversized, right? So like 1.1 inch or something like that on some of the bar stock I pick up from eBay. <laughs> it's kind of mystery metal, right? Or I know what it is, but the tolerance on the diameter is usually a little loose. So uh, I had some I couldn't use because it's, it exceeded the clamping, safe clamping diameter for the one inch. So yeah, I definitely would recommend at least just getting the next oversize on, the, on whatever material. Like I work with half inch and one inch mostly. So I have the oversize for both of those. Uh, which is usually a metric collet. It'll cover the range you want. And probably gets add some quarter inch pretty or quarter inch collet pretty soon. Yeah, I, I'd like to get a, a quarter inch. Um, do you follow Bobby Duke on uh, YouTube? I don't think so. So he's done some some rather silly, interesting projects um, where, like on the small scale, where he'll take like a like a a bolt and hammer it out and forge it out into like a miniature knife. Um, I actually, I kind of want to do that, but on the pocket NC, I, I think it would be a cool, just little artistic project and sort of just get my, my, dip my toes into the knife making world. Like I can work on like beveling and using a, a proper, like five axis tool path to, to finish some of the, the blades, the handle and the little things. Um, I'm probably, I probably wouldn't do it right, but I, I just, I'd like to have a, like a little something, like something to open, open envelopes that I can like heat treat, get a sharp blade polish it out just for fun yeah knife making i i, I watch or i follow quite a few knife makers uh, haven't been tempted to try any of that myself um except for i think they call them scales you know like the the just the handle part right yeah like for existing like a spider co or something like that it seems like there's quite a few people that want custom out of you know either different material or different color or something like that but almost all that if it's if you're working in metal they're going to need to be set up for anodizing, which I'm looking at, but I'm not sure if I'm going to do that anytime soon. 
Um, titanium anodizing, actually, I might. That looks pretty simple compared to aluminum. Uh, but of course, cutting titanium's <laughs> the challenging part. So yeah, you have fun with it. I'm probably going to stick with wood. You know, the theme of this episode is kind of talking about where we're going in the future, right? So I know sometime in the next 12 months, I will have a bigger machine here. That's it'll be like Tormach size. Let's say it's not necessarily a Tormach milling CNC milling machine that can handle titanium. So that's definitely in my uh, product line for the future. I'll be working more with that metal. Still, still keeping all the other machines I have here because they're great for what they do. And I have lots of little parts that I like to run on these guys. I want to expand my material range. So I think uh, I'm going to need a little more horsepower on the spindle <laughs> for, for titanium and flood coolant, more importantly. Yeah, so that's potentially next year I'll be looking at doing some knife-related stuff. I don't think I'll ever make my own knife. John Grimstone kind of said the last word on that, right? At least on the CNC side. You already know my story. I'm, I'm not a handcraft type guy. I don't have those skills. Uh, I have a lot of respect for those skills, but... It's not a direction I want to move, but I'll definitely be checking out Bobby Duke's YouTube content. That sounds pretty, sounds right up my alley as far as stuff I like to watch. He's, uh, he's got an interesting personality that, that shows through in his videos. Not in a bad way, but uh, he's sort of like William Osmond and like he has his own uh, personality, his own unique signature. I would definitely recommend you know, if, that you give a 303 stainless a try if you want something new to work with. It was a lot easier than I thought. I was expecting uh, to be very challenging on the pocket NC. I have never done it on any of the other machines here. Um, the pocket NC probably is the baseline on spindle power. Yeah, I think the other machines probably... Well, actually, I, I take that back because I know... Uh, I've seen some some other folks like uh, Apollo do some sta uh, steel work on the Nomad, so it's definitely capable of doing it. Yeah, but it's one of those slow and steady things. Like, you use a smaller end mill and just go really slow, and it's it's not ideal. Yeah, so I would say, uh, you know, it was practical on the pocket and C. Tools lasted pretty well. I think I've only lost two tools so far, and they've been the, the long reach ones, and it's because I'm not using them right. So I'm still working on the. <laughs> you got to be a little more careful with the long stick out to keep the chatter down. You know, I've run into the, you know, the common issue with the stainless steels is work hardening, right, if you're not taking a big enough chip. So uh, that was experienced here on the first cuts. So I've got it pretty well dialed in. Those those numbers are probably ready to publish the speeds and feeds for the smaller cutters um, for the pocket and C on 303. I think I'm ready to share that. I'm not going to be wasting anybody's tools. You want to circle back and sort of just, just sort of the, the whole part-time gig. Like your ambitions are to acquire a larger, more capable machine. How's that going to fit into your lifestyle? So one of the big criteria for me on getting a bigger machine was... Uh, would I have time to actually use it enough to get the benefit? So, you know, as we've mentioned before, we both, or at least I still have a, a day job that competes with my kind of hobby and, and small business activity here. So um, next year I'll probably be making a change, uh, looking really hard at uh, to retire. So we've been talking to uh, HR at work and turns out they have a pretty nice uh, transition plan if we want to go, or if I want, I think my wife's going to kind of, keep working for a little bit longer because she's, she's got some key stuff that she wants to do the next couple of years work related. But I have the option to potentially go part-time as a transition to full retirement. So I'm looking seriously at doing that next year and uh, mainly to free, you know, free up more time to focus on the CNC stuff and particularly, you know, figuring out some way to turn this into at least a small business. I don't need a lot of income from it. I uh, just really want to bring in enough to, 
fund the hobby and, uh, you know, kind of keep me growing both uh, skills wise and I don't want to say like brand building, I guess is probably part of it. So yeah, so I'm doing some work this year on design, product design, kind of moving beyond the spinners as we've talked about, but I'm definitely, you know, I'm not letting the fact that I can't work with certain materials kind of be my limit. So I'll, I'll do the product design first. And if it turns out I need a bigger machine to make that product, then I'm going to look seriously at adding that to my uh, workshop here. Yeah, I think next year it's, uh, you'll see some big changes. Probably a bigger machine of some sort. I'll keep doing what I've been doing with these machines and then you know, kind of be adding and learning how to work with some, some more uh, difficult materials on, that require uh, proper cooling and or coolant in that kind of machining environment. So that's, I'm looking forward to it. Been thinking about it for a long time. <laughs> Just didn't want to go, you know, pull the trigger. And then I, the last thing I ever want to be is one of those guys, you know, that gets a CNC machine and then gets out on the forums. It's like, what can I make with this? Right. <laughs> so I want like a big list of things, you know, list of either products or projects or whatever that uh, are basically waiting for a machine like that before I go pull the trigger on it. So I'm, I'm working on that right now. It's a good roadmap though, just because like you are, you're working up, you have capabilities in mind you want um and it's it's in the service of your education and of projects that you have lined up so it's it makes sense you know so i'm taking on some occasional commercial work here uh for the reasons we talked about before really just to expand my skill set uh, it's not really probably the primary direction i want to go but i always want to have a mix of it in what i'm doing in the shop because uh, i think it makes me a better makes me a better machinist if nothing else um yeah but yeah, it's challenging because I'm reluctant sometimes to take on, uh, especially if it's rush work, which is really the best stuff to take on because it pays the best, right? But, uh, you know, it's hard to commit to a delivery date with the day job because that's, you know, it's a variable commitments from the day job could end up running into the evening and never know, you know, it's a big company. We, we got a lot going on. So, uh, and that always comes first, right? That's the professional side of the job. So, um, I've, uh, no comment <laughs> for me anyway. <laughs> I never want to have that conversation with work where it's like, well, I have this machining job, so I can't come in today. Um, I mean, if it's vacation or something, that's fine. But like, if they say we need you here and I say, well, no, I got to make this widget. And that's not going to be a good conversation. <laughs> I have to be careful about what I take on now. And I think, you know, again, that's something I want to uh, kind of capitalize on next year. If I can get some committed free time, like by going part-time um, or even, you know, ultimately when I'm fully retired, I'll have all the time I want to focus on this side of what I do. Um, but yeah, right now, so I, I take on some work, but I'm have to be very careful about it. You know, make sure the expectations are set around delivery time. And yeah, expectations are pretty big. And, uh, even when you set them right though, like there are things that can come back and bite you in the rear, the old aluminum drink coaster project that I had for, um, light metal age at the aluminum industry publication. I thought I had that production process down pat and it turns out I, I couldn't cut warped sheets of aluminum on my CNC so I had to go out to a water jet company and have them cut it out. I think the lead time, um, like I had two or three months to work on that. They reached out in like August and they didn't need these until like November or something. And even with that knowledge, that amount of time to plan around, I was still running into like scheduling difficulties. And when something goes wrong, and like your your timeline is shrinking, it can be pretty stressful. I remember I I took a sick day. Um, I missed Maker Fair because of that. It was probably due in October, not November. So that that kind of pressure um, 
is not something that's fun when you have to juggle the day job with that. I took a sick day or two from work, or I, I told my supervisor I had a doctor's appointment here or there, um, just to make sure I could like hand deliver these to the laser engraver on time to cut out the shipping because that would add a day or two. Even when you think you have everything nailed down, if something goes wrong and you have a client, that schedule doesn't move, especially like they had they needed these coasters in time for a trade show. So I had to get this done and then like overnight it to uh, I think Memphis where they were uh, going to be exhibiting. And that's that's a big difference from the personal projects where right now, like if I'm making a video, the pressure I feel is, oh, I really want to release in time for the weekend. But if you miss that deadline, what's what's the big deal? Like you just push it to the next week and your viewers probably won't even notice. When you have a client, that sort of changes up the the feeling of being a part-time creator. There's extra pressure. Your reputation is on the line. And so having that hang over you, it, it just, for me, it, it jacks up the anxiety level. And it's something I, I kind of want to try and avoid in the future. But if you can sort of define expectations, if you have a good enough grasp on the project that you want to take it on and you have the time and you have a little extra time, um, it might not be a bad thing. But for me, if if there's a deadline, a, a firm due date on that project, as a hobbyist, I, I tend to try and shy away from that. The good thing about taking on work like that is you'll get better at estimating and anticipating what could work, what what just isn't going to be practical, right? So I think, you know, part of that's just experience, being very conservative with your scheduling. A lot of times that's going to probably rule you out as the person that's going to take on that job, um, especially, you know, the way we do it with juggling the, the day job and all the other stuff we're doing. Um, and you're right. I mean, you're, it's basically your reputation. It's your commitment. You have to be very, very judicious about the work you take on and setting the expectations uh, with the client right around what could happen, um, having that conversation, if it really is mission critical for them on the date, then you, you know, unfortunately may not be the right person for them, right? And I'll, I'll try to suggest somebody else. Um, you know, I have a few instant machinists that uh, I will send them to that are probably further along on doing this kind of uh, job shop stuff as a routine part of their, their machining activities. So, uh, but I hate to turn down work. I, I know. Um, and so every time I get that, it's like, I have to make that calculation. What am I going to sacrifice? Which weekends am I just going to have to be in the shop? Like, which days during the work day, like work week, am I going to have to say, like, all right, I'm just going to, like, shovel down dinner and go straight to the garage. Um, it is a balance. You are sacrificing, in some instances, um, aspects of your social life in order to make this happen. And it's, is it worth it to you? And uh, generally it is, but you have to recognize the sacrifices that you're making. So, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, so I mean, one of the one of the nice types of jobs I've been getting that kind of works really well is um, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but the Pocket and C is such a unique machine that there's still a lot of questions about its capabilities, uh, especially kind of in the commercial world. There's you know corporate R and D departments and probably universities that are interested in a machine like that, right? They probably have a a full full size five axis machine shop somewhere in their production site or in their in their lab, but uh, that's probably a very hard machine to get time on for an R&D or a product design person. So, you know, I think they're looking more for uh, potential something that's right in their design studio or in their R&D lab, whip out a part uh, without having to go through a lot of paperwork and different departments and stuff. So they're interested in the pocket and see, um, but they all have the question around, is it capable of doing 
our particular work, right? So I'm getting some opportunities to do basically machining tests. You know, they send me a part, you know, either I make it or it, it, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Either way, the, the result they're looking for is, is the machine, you know, is it in the ballpark for what the machine can do? Um, I have to be real careful. It's like, <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. Maybe the machine can do it fine. Maybe the machine issue pick can't, right? So uh, it's a little, yeah, so it's, it's that, there's that challenge. But, um, you know, I can just give them as much feedback about what I ran into and my opinion on, you know, if it failed, I think it's, you know, it could work. I need a little more time to try a different strategy. If the machine's capable of doing it, maybe I need to just do a different approach or it's like, no, this is just the wrong material for this machine, uh, which I can usually head off without actually machining it. So those kind of, that type of work's pretty interesting. Uh, usually has pretty tight deadline, but it's not like the, the nice things are not necessarily waiting on the part. They're more interested in waiting on the, you know, the opinion and, and outcome of a machining trial, I guess is what I would call it. So that that's kind of a unique bit of work that comes up with the pocket you don't get that on the other machines. I've had actually I've probably come pretty close on the other mill uh, questions about could it do some stuff that some of the, I think it was a university a while back was looking at it, but I think they end up talking directly to the vendor and got the answer they wanted, either a trial machine or, or something. But yeah, they reached out to me because they saw what I was doing with it, cutting metal really. Back in the day, that was kind of, no one thought that machine could do it, even though the vendor, I mean, uh, Bantam's always kind of shown shown it doing that on their, their videos, if you know where to look. I actually have gotten some some similar requests on the three-axis side um, in wood. Um, so I had a person reach out to me. Um, they're looking to manufacture uh, wood products using a cheap uh, three-axis machine like the Shape Oco to manufacture these things. And uh, they're... They're basically, it's a business guy, uh, marketing guy, and he doesn't have the engineering experience. So he, he wants to know if it's possible. And uh, so he reached out to me. Um, and let's let's say for the purposes of this discussion that it's a phone case out of wood. It's not actually, but we'll, I'm under NDA, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. He wanted to know if you could do things like an undercut. So if you have a phone that you uh, and you want to slip this a wooden case onto it, it's got to have an undercut so it snaps on. The problem with that for me is that he hired a guy to do the design work and he sends me an STL file and ideally you have the person modeling it and the person who has to machine it in pretty good communication so that you can determine things like hey that part's too thin like can you make it thicker and just the considerations for design for manufacturing that you need to have when you create these models uh, to start with because um, these STLs you can't really modify them so he has to hand, hand me back a completed model uh, with the changes that I request. And that communication link has been pretty slow, but more problematic than that is just trying to, to balance like, the client's expectations with like, what the machine can do. And if he wants to bring this product to mass production and, and make a lot of these, a lot of the like, sort of tricks that I do to sort of get it like work around like oh this tab's really weak let me just hit the um the the feed rate uh down button a couple times and, and just really work slowly around this area and speed it up developing a process that's bulletproof and that doesn't rely on just personal intuition and and hack together workarounds is is a little more challenging for me you gotta have that understanding that just buying the machine is not the end of the story right learning how to use it um learning how to design a product that can be, or any part, right, that can 
be made on a milling machine can be a challenge too. There were also variations in like material, right? Because he's not working where I'm working. He can he has access to woods that I may not have access to. What's the the, the local humidity where he's working? There's just a lot of issues, um, complicating factors that that could make the toolpath that I create work for him or not work for him. And uh, just trying to work with those variables um, with someone remotely is is uh, a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, not the typical typical kind of work I've been taking on. Um, that's almost an educational uh, engagement, right? It's it's part consulting in like engineering, um, but honestly, I would rather treat this more as a an educational venture because um, I'd like to develop a process, pass it off to him, so that he can train his guys to just run through. Like I give him a checklist, like hey, bring in your model, hey, run an adaptive, then run a parallel then do the undercut, like just give them a process because client work, it doesn't really scale. Um, and that's sort of like the thing about YouTube that I've been trying to just angle myself as to be an educator because the your audience is a lot broader and I, I prefer helping multiple people than just one person. Um, so the sooner I can sort of just tie everything up neatly and then uh, go back to making videos that more people can benefit from, the happier I'll be. Yeah, I'm with you on that because I think I probably would never take on a commercial, um, hey, come train my staff on how to be a Shapeoko machinist, for instance, right? Because uh, um, if they want me to make a part for them, that's a different conversation or talk about a strategy on how to make a part on their machine. I'm good with doing that either commercially or just informal chatting. Um, at least for me, I think you're, you're a little more education and training focused than I am, um, but for me, like I see a lot better resources out there, especially if they want to pay. You know, there's some, there's really good training out there. Um, I see stuff that, like the, like an individual wanting to learn. Like there's really good stuff at some of the, uh, the maker spaces, right? They'll, they'll kind of walk you through a whole certification on using the machines there, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like I, I tend to steer people towards those. I think they'll be more satisfied than trying, you know, trying to learn it from me talking to them through text or, <laughs> or little short videos, right? The problem with uh, some of the, the more business-focused clients is that they just they want something they can run with. You hand them working G-code, and they just hit go. And um, the problem with that tends to be that like, if there's a change in the product, like they're probably going to come back to you. So for me, I don't count it as success until I can walk away from it and they are autonomously able to sustain that effort. Um, sort of like how uh, the Johns have been talking about um, being able to step away from the machine shop and the processes are in place that everything still runs smoothly. And so I would rather sort of just seed the potential for success and let them run with it and so that I can walk away from it. Um, but you're right about the education side. Like uh, I have another guy who's who's actually come to me for like fusion tutoring. And that's a space I've, I've tried to stray away from. Um, but it, it's hard to turn away people when they're asking for help. So I've reluctantly taken that on. Yeah. And, I, and I'm certainly more open to it. And, uh, you know, as a non-commercial activity and just helping out a fellow, uh, you know, someone getting new into machining, that's fine. Um, I don't think I'll ever try to make it like part of whatever I'm doing as a business. Uh, I think there's, you know, I see Lars, I'm not quite sure. I'm pretty sure he's an Autodesk employee. <laughs> I should know that, but um, 
he kind of does that for a living and does it really well. I know he goes around and teaches classes. Um, but I, I don't think I have the, the skill set or the patience to do that and ask for money for it. <laughs> I'm not good enough to ask for money. Um, and nor do I have the, the inclination, right? That's not really where I want to spend my time. But, um, but yeah, I'm always willing to help out someone to say I'm stuck on you know, certain thing in fusion or whatever. Do that all the time. I'm sure you do too. And a lot of, a lot of the folks that I interact with on Instagram are all doing that. So that's just kind of paying it back to the community, right? So I'm all for that, but there's bounds on right how far you can go with that um, versus where someone might really be better served by a, a more formal program or, or class or something like that. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Got to kind of limit how much, because those can be very, uh, you can spend a lot of time on those. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, a lot of time on, on Skype calls and, and all that. Yeah. I can imagine adding the, the pressure of the, you know, it's a, being a paying job and the expectations that, how do you guarantee they're going to learn? <laughs> do they pay you if they don't learn? So uh, Well, it's a little easier on like someone like Lars. Like Those are professional machinists or aspiring professional machinists who take those courses and they'll put in the time to learn. Um, on Instagram, if someone asks you a question, it's usually they know pretty much what they need to know. They're just missing a couple settings. Um, when people reach out to me on email, it's a lot more open-ended they might have zero fusion knowledge and be like, hey, how do I do this in fusion? And only after you answer do you realize just how little they know and just how much knowledge you need to pass on for them, for you to be able to step away and call it mission accomplished. So Instagram, education, great. Um, when they reach out to you, that's it's pretty dangerous. It could be really simple, like two-sentence email reply, or it could be an unimaginable time suck. So Yeah. <laughs> This whole thing of you know where am I going to spend my time over the next twelve months? I'm uh, really kind of sitting down now. I'm just trying to figure out what my goals are. Assuming I have more time, like less time on the day job, and more time to focus on building something here, uh, either business or just you know continued uh, social media project focused work. Um, what what do I want to do? So I, you know, I'm trying to think about is it really more what, what's more satisfying to me doing working on my own products and potentially having a product line to sell uh, Etsy or something along those lines or take on external work and be more of a you know machinist for hire, which I, I'm already kind of ruling that out as my primary, at least not in the next two years, <laughs> like me, my primary way I spend my time. I, I, the, the product idea does appeal to me. So half the joy I get out of this is actually on the design side, you know, the CAD side. So uh, being able to make what I design is, is really good too. So uh I'm going to kind of work on both of those capabilities, work on a, a two-year plan, right? So about as far out as I want to plan. But part of that is, yeah, I got to figure out where, what the mix of my time is, is going to be mostly on my own products and manufacturing those or more of a service thing where I'm making other parts for other people. So I think I've kind of made that decision now and, I'm, and I'll probably spend the rest of this year setting up my plan for 2019. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, as hobby machinists, like, we're in this as an outlet. Like, we want CNC machining to be an outlet for our creativity. Because um, if you don't enjoy it or, or have a passion for it, um, it's it's really just not going to be fun, and there's no reason to continue it. Exactly. And, you know, I think the worst thing I could do is is kill my hobby because I <laughs> turned it into hard work. Right? Uh, not that I'm afraid of hard work, but uh, I, I got to be careful about that balance. Uh, it's a little different for you, I think, because you've got, you know, it's more 
you've got more time for this to actually be your primary career. Um, you know, I have my primary career and still have it, but uh, I'm very happy with that. But uh, this is this is more fun work, right? <laughs> fun slash work. Yeah. 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 So it'll always have to have that fun component. Um, at least, you know, maybe I do this for two years. I get a bigger machine. I really decide, you know, I want to be uh, Saunders Machine Works Texas version, right? <laughs> yeah, the day you get an employee is is uh, going to be pretty life changing. Yeah, so I'm still in that phase where I'm saying I will never have an employee, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, speaking of products, like the other thing, um, so my plan initially, like when I first started selling the spinners and thinking about other products, was retail type products. But you know, unless something changes, there was a recent change in well, actually, it was I think a Supreme Court case where now. If you're selling retail, you have to deal with sales tax in every jurisdiction of the country, not just your local. Like I used to just have to worry about the occasional sale to a Texas customer um, for the spinners and not worry about tax or reported sales tax. I'm talking about uh, anywhere else. But now that's the law has changed, or at least the law is being interpreted differently because uh, of this court case. It's like the hassle of even doing like Etsy sales is getting much more complicated. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know how soon it will affect simple makers like us that sell a very small number of products. They probably don't know if anyone will, like in Chicago tax collection office will ever hassle us, but uh, potential is there, right? So there's a lot more reporting, a lot more overhead to deal with um, for really small businesses like this. So I, I, I may move towards either something that could be sold to a distributor or something that's not taxable <laughs> at the retail level. So I got, yeah, I'm re- that's all kind of factoring into my product plans. Um, just got to figure out wh- where it goes. Hopefully they'll change that back to the old, kind of the old way sales tax was handled. But uh, until then, that's that's kind of the other other reason I've been real anxious to go back to something like spinner production. Yeah, we'll see where that goes. I've really been focused on fixturing lately because I need this stuff <laughs> and uh, I'm enjoying it. Um, potentially could be some product ideas coming out of this, but right now I'm working on just getting prototypes and stuff I can use on mostly on the pocket and see. Uh, I don't think I mentioned this before, but I've been working with uh, a collaboration with Chris Lee. I think he's at chrislee.design on Instagram. So he's out in California and he has access to a CNC lathe and a Haas. I think they're both Haas machines, a Haas VMC. He's been helping me um, by doing the machining on a, a base plate for a, a quick release riser that I'm working on for the Pocket NC. So that's finished. Hopefully I can show that he, he's shown some of the work. Uh, I think on his Instagram page, at some point I'll have that here. I can kind of finish the final assembly and start working on the the pieces that go on the top. So it's basically the premise is the base plate bolts to the bed of the machine. And then you can swap out the work holding piece of it and kind of locate it accurately and repeatedly. Like a mini tombstone might drop on the top of that or a vice, small vice, or to hold a particular part kind of custom fixture. But the goal is to be able to swap those out quickly and not have to really spend a lot of time dialing it back in. So it may not work. We're going to see. <laughs> yeah, and also gets your. It's similar to what I have going with the, uh, the 3D printed fixture, except it'll be two piece and all metal. So it should be uh, should be a little little more rigid than what I've been experiencing with the 3D printed fixtures. But hey, Chris, I just really wanted to thank you for uh, all your help on that base plate and uh, looked really good on the on your post on Instagram. I can't wait to actually have the parts here and start pulling that whole assembly together. So thanks, mate. So that tombstone idea you had, is that going to bolt to that uh, 
riser or is that just going to go straight onto the b table no so that's a that tombstone uh the multi-part like the four-sided tombstone was really uh, a standalone piece that bolts directly to the it's all one piece and it bolts directly to the bed i'm assuming that's going to work out uh, i'll have more to talk about with that on the next uh, podcast <laughs> i should have that in my hands fairly soon and be able to test it out and on that one i actually wanted to maximize the amount of space for stock holding so that one uses the, basically the full workable length of the pocket and C machining area. That's why that one um, was kind of a unitary design. I'll do a smaller one that will leverage the, the quick release base plate. This won't be able to hold or make as big a parts because it's not gonna have as much um, real estate, right? As that one does. But I think the, the quick release rise is really more for getting small stock up higher and closer to the spindle, depending on what orientation the bed is in. Um, so I can use smaller tooling and ideally the smaller, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the smaller uh, tool holder, right? To get a more rigid setup for the steel that I'm working with. Uh, I didn't realize your, uh, your tombstone idea is coming together so quickly. I'm going to have to work hard to, to come up with my own pretty soon. In walnut? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually thinking um, I have some one-inch aluminum rod stock. So I'll just chuck that up in the ER40 and... Uh, try and show um, sort of like an indexed fourth axis style machining. But I, I would like to sort of have that project out around the time that you reveal yours. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to, I mean, I have a feeling it's going to be so pretty when I see it that I'm, <laughs> it's actually set up to be carved up, right? To put something like a Mighty Bike clamp in or, or just my, my go-to fixturing, which is uh, interpolate some holes, thread mill them, and then bolt the stock to uh, you know, some aluminum fixture plate or something. So I do a lot of that. Um, and we'll be doing that with the tombstone. Yeah, I'll probably end up with a few of them. One set up just for the quad vice setup that I, I showed on Instagram. Additional ones that I can do custom work holding. I have one already that kind of I was modeling the stock out on it and really small parts. So I could get like three per face. So nine or 12, sorry, my math's bad. <laughs> 12 parts per uh, setup on the tombstone. So basically that machine can run. I think the part I had uh, need to do a little more optimization. It was just, it's kind of a test part, but um, it's pretty much the same machine I would be doing for this product I'm working on. Uh, actually not products, more fits into the gift category, <laughs> the gifts that I'm working on out of brass. So I think it's going to uh, potentially work with just one tool change. So I've got some engraving to do on it. It requires a tool change, but almost everything else is going to be one tool. So I should be able to basically start that. It's going to, you know, it's going to take quite a while to make that many parts, but I don't have to be tending that machine for quite a while. You know, I can, if I have two tombstones, I could have the stock set up on the second one ready just to swap it out. So we'll see how that works out. Um, it's really more just modeling workflow than anything else or, you know, testing out some workflows or I don't want to say mass production, but, but multi-part workflow on the pocket and C. So I'll learn a lot. That, that's part of the fun, right? To just try and push these small machines in directions that the manufacturer might not have intended out of the factory. But by developing our own solutions, we can actually push a good amount of productivity out of these tiny machines. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, because if you look at the machine, you know, if you squint, it's also looks, you know, it's a five axis machine, but it also kind of looks like a horizontal <laughs> horizontal machine, right? So uh, you can apply some of the stuff that works there. Um, it's really, you know, I have purpose for this stuff. I know I can put it to use and it'll work for what I want. And I like sharing it because I think other people with the machine, um, it'll stimulate their thoughts. And some at some point we're going to see something really cool that 
another pocket and see users doing um, on the kind of creative work holding uh, that we can steal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I, it's, you know, it, half of it's really just to stimulate thought among other pocket and see owners. Um, the other half is have a good use case for it myself. So uh, yeah, I hope to, hope to be doing a lot of work with that in November and December. So how about you? I know you're, you've been pretty busy in, in the shop, but uh, you've got some, uh, some traveling ahead of you pretty soon, right? Yeah, I've got some, some rather ambitious plans. Um, so if you've been following my Instagram stories, you might know that I recently left my job. So I have traded one day job for another. By the time you guys are hearing this podcast, um, it should be public knowledge that I've uh, picked up a job with Carbide 3D. Um, so that's it's going to be an interesting transition. My hope is that it just gets me more time to sort of both explore my creativity, design projects, machine them, learn as I go, and also educate people. Because at the end of the day, you need a little something um, as sort of a goal to drive you. Because if you're doing something for a job, it's it's going to get boring eventually. And unless you have um, sort of an underlying reason for it, uh, you can lose motivation, uh, lose steam. So it's one of the, the things I've always tried to do with my channel is to sort of just teach people that CNC isn't scary. And so I'll get to do a lot more of that in the future. So, But as part of that transition, I also want to make a move out to the West Coast so I can be close to the things I love. Uh, nature, you've got a bunch of national parks out there, and also like the aerospace industry. So I can uh, go stand under the rocket at the SpaceX factory, and if I want to go see a launch, I can make the drive out to Vandenberg. In November, I'm going to be starting a really long road trip. Uh, I think it's 4,300 miles with the current itinerary um, across the country, hitting up Ohio, Kentucky, Arkansas, Texas, Colorado, Utah, Autodesk University, and LA, where I'm going to end up. And uh, along the way, I've I've got a couple people I want to see, yourself included, like so we should hopefully have a live podcast. And also some, some potential collabs that uh, I'm going to keep pretty close to the chest because I think they're pretty exciting. But along the way, I've got just, I want to bring a, a CNC with me so I can just make things across the country. And I think it'll be cool to see something uh, like uh, if I go to Texas, if I carve out like a little like uh, Lone Star symbol, or if I go to, let's say, uh, Ohio, and I, I just, let's say I carve out a topographic map of Ohio, um, just little things like that. Um, just little mementos that I can sort of vlog about and sort of just show like, hey, this is a really quick project, but it's also relevant to like my personal journey. So that's something I hope to be sharing as I uh, trek across the country. Um, if you guys have any suggestions on uh, restaurants that I can't miss or things to see or, or shops to visit, um, shoot us a message over on Instagram. Perfect. Well, I'll definitely have you uh, set up for some good Tex-Mex when you're here. I'm looking forward to the visit. And hopefully you won't be having to crank out a U-joint on that, on the Nomad in the truck, somewhere on the side of the road. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big move. Um, yeah, of course, I've, you and I have talked a little bit about it privately. Uh, I think that's awesome, uh, especially being on the West Coast. Definitely a, a machining and, and manufacturing mecca um, and creativity mecca. So I think that's going to be perfect for you, uh, especially you know you can wrap it in with... Um, engagement with carbide 3d i think that's 
that's going to be good for you and good for them. I, I hope I provide value to them, but really, I'm just excited for all the learning that's going to happen on my end, just um, exploring different uh, manufacturing techniques. Because um, I know the George and Rob, they, they came out of like the, I think the toy making industry. So they've done like uh, rotocasting and like um, injection molding, just all sorts of different techniques um, that I would love to pick their brains about and also maybe showcase how a CNC works into that. So um, just there's a lot of exciting new projects that I anticipate on the horizon, but uh, all that will be to come. Stay tuned. And the road trip's going to be epic. I know I'm looking forward to seeing uh, all the other stops you make and makers you connect with on the way. Sounds really cool. Um, I just got to work it out with their schedules. Um, we got to convince Vin, uh, Vince to uh, let us into a shop. <laughs> you hear that, Vince Fab? We're coming to see you, buddy. <laughs> I think we're pretty close to an hour. Um, yeah, so the only other, other thing I've got is some, some more work holding. Um, I had started on the modular device for the Shapeoko. I think I'm going to try to get that wrapped up before end of October, uh, the design side of it. And I don't know if I'm going to build it. Um, I don't have a need for it yet. I'm going to, I think I might, that might be my first uh, fusion project that I share on uh, cut rocket. So if anyone wants to take a crack at that, um, well, I guess I have to build it, right? That was the rule. <laughs> yeah. You, you need a picture of it, but you can probably convince uh, JPL Richard to take his own shot at making one of those. I, I need to do another iteration because it's too big right now. I think I've seen some other ones out there and I just over-engineered it. So I'm going to try to make it smaller. The nice thing about that is it make, makes it more machinable on the machines here. But the goal for that was really to have a design for other folks if they're interested in um, ideally something you could make on the Shapeoko to use on the Shapeoko. So I'm trying to, trying to work with there. I, actually, what, I, what I'd really like to have is a vice... Uh, I love the pen vise on the pocketency. I mean, the, just the concept of it. Um, something a little bigger that would actually, like just for me, right, that would go uh, in all three of my machines. Like I could have it set up with the bolt pattern that would work on the Nomad and work on the other mill. Um, just easily to move, you know, to move to my fixture plates there. So I might actually explore that. Uh, I'd want it to be a little bit bigger than the current vise, uh, just because I know the material I work with, it needs to be a little bit wider. But um, so I might just scale that design up and do a little bit of work on the bolt pattern. So it's kind of universal for the three machines that I have here. And we'll see. Yeah, that'll be interesting. And that's it for my shop update. Uh, I won't have much to share until I get this work done but, uh, this week. But there should be some really good stuff coming later in November. I'm sorry, later in October. Well, Winston, I uh, enjoyed... Uh, Enjoyed the conversation with you and really looking forward to meeting you in person when you start your trip out west. In the meantime, have a, have a good time, enjoy packing, and I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks. I don't think anyone can enjoy packing, but I'll try. All right. Good night, Winston. Night. <laughs>